And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly-ish, whenever we feel like it, podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is February 15th. It's not Valentine's Day. It's not Valentine's Day, but we're going to try to be your cupids, and this is episode 382. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And on this week's show, we'll get caught up with what has happened since we last burnt the Yule Log. And we'll determine what the best and worst case scenarios of many situations in Birdland might be. And we'll do that right after we lubricate the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing on this evening? Well, I'm channeling my best Orioles wind-up, and I am drinking a, a red wine this evening. Uh, Sarah ordered wine from a, a place that would ship it, mm-hmm. and we got, I don't know, like a zillion bottles of wine for $3 or something like that. Okay. So these are these are not... Um, so prison. These are, yeah, these are not premier wines. Mm-hmm. I'm drinking a J.M. Duane Pinot Noir. Uh, which reports that's definitely be, prison wine, <laughs> which reports to be out of Santa Barbara County. Again, prison wine, <laughs> a 2022. What I will say is this. Um, very, How is Dwayne spelled on the bottle there? It's a uh, D-U-A-N-E. So, okay. All right. It is, it is entirely drinkable and entirely unremarkable. Okay. And that's a Pinot Noir? Allegedly so. Well, I mean, it's got some some decent ratings out there from, you know, a few reputable things like we'll call it 90% on, you know, various websites and stuff like that. So it doesn't look like it's a terrible bottle. Um, well, and depending on how the conversation goes this evening for our podcast, that'll that'll go into my Yelp and, and Unless it's, you know, you know, a fake bottle, it's currently going on various websites for 20 to $25 a, a bottle. Oh, so we certainly did not, we certainly did not pay that. Maybe so. you just need to be decanting it and letting it aerate out a little bit. Um, but you know, let us know where we've gone wrong there. I'm going to let it aerate out of my pores. And you, sir, uh, I am also going with a drink. Um, again, it has 23 flavors in it. Um, so again, I'm trying to pull out the aromas and everything like that. Um, it's been prescribed to, prescribed to me from a doctor, um, one Dr. Pepper, as it were. Um, and apparently we need doctors right now in Birdland. Um, so that's what I am drinking this evening. Fantastic. If you are interested in a little less of this nonsense and a little more of what uh, beers that we're drinking from time to time, come and follow us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. And I'm at MAGN8606. M-A-G-N in fact, if there are certain beers in the local area that you would like us to give a shot, uh, reach out to us. Um, post it in, in, in the show notes. Reach out to us on DMs for your Twitter we are looking to try new things with the upcoming season. Uh, with that, uh, let's go to this week on the socials and uh, get into the heart of it. Jake, I'll let you start off. All right, I'm going to start over in Blue Sky. And it's now open to the public, I hear. Yeah, yeah, pretty exciting. Come join us. Come join in our reindeer games. With all, what, 20 people that are over there right now? Hey, Mr. Blue Sky. Someone's got to start somewhere. Please tell us why. No. Uh, yeah, I'm going to start over on Blue Sky. This is a uh, tweet from MLB Trade Run Rumors Unofficial. Mm. Unofficial, because it's only open to the few, the proud. Um, and this is Orioles have shown interest in Jesus Lazardo. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, they've shown interest. That's fine. 
we're going to get into the pitching situation later. And so I just want to ask you straight up, what are the odds that you think the Orioles are able to work something out for Lazardo? Less than 10%. I agree with you. And I think that's generous. Yeah, I, I, I would love it, but I just don't see it happening. All righty. All right, uh, let's go to threads. Um, and this is obviously a, a Facebook social media standpoint. Um, so it's here's very meta. Here's up to, to Mark Zuckerberg. And uh, let me go ahead and put my Oculus on now while I'm reading this. Um, this comes from AF Casca. I, I know him. He writes for the Baltimore Sun. Um, so let's go ahead and lean to the right a little bit here and look at this picture. Um, the Orioles spring training is upon us. And it's a beautiful picture of the sun to the left. Oh, I don't like that. Um, and this, this guy is certainly showing off in this picture. This should definitely should have been mirrored is the best way to describe it to the right-hand side. This is probably just a corrupted photo. Um, you know, I'm barking on us. But, yeah, um, it's great to see Sarasota. It's great to see the playing fields. Um, looking looking forward to more photos uh, with the days ahead. You know what photos we were we were robbed of, though? What's that? Boys in and, shorts. Boys in shorts. I was expecting more boys in shorts content. Yeah. I, I have to admit. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm going to head over to Mastodon. Excuse me? That's a real thing. No, it's not. <laughs> it, this is not creamsicle. It's a real thing. Uh, I'm heading over to Mastodon. For Who, seriously, is Mastodon actually a real thing? Not only is it a real thing, Bird's Eye View has a Mastodon social media presence. I had no idea. Honestly, <laughs> I really had no idea. <laughs> hey. Hey, get with the program, Scott. I feel super old right now because I didn't even I don't even think I'm aware. I think was Mastodon the one that was before Blue Sky came out? No, Mastodon's been around for a while. I, yeah. But a it long was, while. But like when Twitter first I'm sorry, when X first went down, people were saying go to Mastodon. Yeah, right? Mastodon is, is the federalized, you know. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh dis- excuse me, distributed. So this is Blue Sky 1.0, is what you're telling me. <laughs> I would not tell you that. Okay. What I will tell you is that over on the Mastodon, not only does Bird's Eye View have a presence but so too do the baltimore orioles and they tweeted excuse me they tooted real thing promise promise that's a real thing tooted because they're uh, mastodon like the elephant okay all right you toot on mastodon okay gotcha i'm not bright enough to make that up okay anyway they this is killing it even more for me right now (laughs) They tooted, welcome to Baltimore, Peyton. Of course, referring to Peyton Burdick, an outfielder from the Miami Marlins, who in some uh, areas of the internet is being called an outfield prospect. All right, so if this is the perfect social media standpoint for a made-up social media platform such as Mastodon, uh, a Peyton Burdick uh, tweet or toot, sorry, toot, um, is very appropriate for this one. So, I mean, I, I saw some of the comments on this one. He's got, I think, two options remaining. Um, I think he had the most amount of barrels in double A AA or triple A or something like that. So whatever, like what? That's fine. Like it's an outfielder, you know, but whatever. No, no issues. I got to be honest. I don't give a toot about this. Yeah. And then uh, we're going to go to the place that, you know, no one really wants to admit that, you know, it's a bad place and it's the bad place. Um, but let's talk about Twitter and let's talk about X and let's go into Elon's playground um, and this comes from O's Ravens Wiz. You can follow them at Jopo12191. Apparently, you know, screen names were very in short supply. Um, and his tweet says as follows. Yes, please. And it's um, a treat referencing Talking Baseball. I actually recognize that account where Manfred wants a free agency signing period for MLB. Uh, 
I, this has been talked about a lot is the best way to put it. I'm not sure how I feel about this. Like, I don't really, I don't think I need it. I know that, that you don't feel like you need it. Why do you, why do we need this? We don't need this. Yeah. I, here's what I think is, uh, is the goal here. I think that the goal is to shrink the amount of time that players, uh, have to sign and, yeah. and to, Provide more leverage for the owners in terms of free agency and to productize the entertainment value of the window so that Major League Baseball Network and the rest of the baseball media have a thing to feed. Yeah. Uh, during I, I know that Ken Rosenthal has been saying that this is absolutely necessary. I know there's been a few other beat, like I wouldn't say beat writers, we'll call it national writers who have indicated that this is necessary. Um, first of all, you know, the Players Association is never going to go for this. Um, however, uh, I'll give a however, um, Travis Salchik, uh, posted on this earlier today. Um, and he was pointing out, you know, obviously we don't have, you know, data from a reality standpoint, um, except for the shortened season, um, where in essence, free agency was extremely condensed. Um, and you know, in general, a lot of players got, we'll call it elevated contracts during that kind of condensed period, um, where everyone had to sign all at once. So, do I think it would be an absolute disaster? No, but again, it's not necessary. Is the best way to describe this is just people trying to figure out uh, how do you entertain me in a short uh, sample size. Is the best way to describe it. And it's just that's not what baseball is about. We don't put time or clocks in baseball. Everybody, it just doesn't work. That's breaking the rules of the game. The unwritten rules. The unwritten rules. I mean, can you just imagine if baseball had a twenty-second or like a fifteen-second pitch clock? I mean. What a disaster that would be. I will say this looks like a solution in search of a problem. Yeah. Uh, so is that it for uh, this week on the social media? I think that's all the trouble we can get all into. All right. I will mention one additional thing from the social media standpoint. Look, the social media is um, it's a cesspool. Let's just go and just say it out loud. It's a cesspool. Um, if you're looking for some uh, some 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 polite conversation, some some diplomatic community, uh, I have to call out to, uh, you know, The Verge. Uh, they've got a nice little Discord group going on right now. Highly recommend joining that Discord group. Uh, there's a bunch of podcasters in there. There's a bunch of uh, social media people that, you know, pr- previously been on Twitter. Um, but if you want to, in essence, you know, go into maybe a more long-form version of social media, uh, give it a chance. Uh, if you are looking for memes, you're looking for GIFs, uh, you're looking for Sad Bad Albers, hey, you know, stay with in the mastodons and the X's and the and the and all the other social medias that are out there. All right. So with that, um, we've been gone for a while. We've been gone um, since we sung our holiday songs. Um, so this is our first podcast of 2024. I thought I thought we had been put in timeout for all the singing for the last time. I, I mean, based off of the audience, you know, commentaries on it um, and the lack of it. Uh, yeah, that's never going to happen again. Um, so uh, I think we've got to you know take a quick break and ask ourselves what do we miss, um, and maybe get caught up about what's going on in Birdland. Scott, you're absolutely right. We uh, it's been a while. It's been a hot minute since we've been on the mics. Uh, a lot of that's uh, my fault with my own uh, personal uh, scheduling drama. But uh, let listener, let me pull the curtain back here. Scott and I tried to record twice. 
We had written materials ready to go on two occasions. Two occasions. And and those occasions were as follows. First, the night that Corbin Burns was traded yep. to the Orioles. And second, when there was news that the Orioles might be sold away from the Angelos family. And that's what I want to talk about in this What Did We Miss? Yeah. Because I think... We are missing something from the discussion of new ownership. And uh, what I, what I want to say... That wasn't covered by everybody else in social media. Well, it, it has been discussed, but not as much as everything else. Mm, okay. And so let me just say that um, <clears throat> the Angelus family has been uh, awful. Uh, I would say criminally negligent. In terms of running a baseball team. With the Baltimore Orioles. Okay. And so I got a lot of texts from friends and family when the news came out and they they said, uh, hey, what do you think of the new ownership? And I said, look, you know, we've gone from a situation in which some rich loves or owns this thing that my family has loved for generations. And now some new rich owns this thing that my family has loved for generations, but Probably can't be anywhere near as negligent in tending to it as the last. So who knows? We call that capitalism. We do. Here's here's what I found a little unsettling about the discussion of uh, ownership. Mm -hmm. I am gleeful, mm -hmm. gleeful at the prospect of the Angelos family no longer owning the Baltimore Orioles. I am hopeful to a degree that I, I don't know as uh, that I'm really capable. I'm hopeful that this will mean an infusion of cash and resources and, and the very things that the Angelos family wouldn't do, right? Because the, the Angelos family was committed to winning up until the point of prying their, their purse open sure. for one cent, right? Yeah. If this new ownership group is going to continue to do all the things well and spend money, boy, howdy, we should be excited as a fan base. And there was euphoria about the prospect of not having the Angelos family own the Baltimore Orioles. But here's the question. But is it a little irresponsible as fans for us to simply be as willing to trust and lavish with praise and support the new ownership group of the Orioles who yes, hasn't done anything to hurt us yet, mm -hmm. but also hasn't done anything right. that necessarily will make them any different than the I, last. I, I got you on this one. I completely understand where you're coming from. And I, I was struggling with this myself. It's the standpoint of like, well, we're losing uh, one um, white guy billionaire and we're in essence gaining a few additional other white guy billionaires on that basis. Uh, Jake, let me put this into context for you. Uh, and let me see. Um, do we do that here? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try. I'm try as best as I can for you. Um, but I'm going to put it in this logical standpoint to see if you can connect the dots. Um, so John, uh, uh, Jake in the, um, Disney movie, Robin hood, you're familiar with this, correct? Very much. So. All right. Um, uh, so when Robin hood in essence defeats King John, correct? And King Richard returns back to Sherwood Forest and basically, you know, everyone celebrates. Did you watch the end of Robin Hood and say, why are they celebrating King Richard coming back? I did not. 
So Jake, why at this moment are you questioning this standpoint? Why can't you just say, well, at least King Richard's going to be better than King John? All right. So this is this is wonderful on so many levels. Uh dear listener, uh Disney's Robin Hood is my favorite uh Disney film, uh which is why Scott is choosing this particular weapon. Um second, first of all, I believe I win. <laughs> hands down. The point is yours, sir, because I am too distracted by the very imagery of John Angelo's as uh, Prince John sucking his thumb, that right. I may not be capable of any. In fact, there's been songs sung about this before <laughs> on this exact podcast. But again, Jake, I come back to the point: when you watched Robin Hood for the first time as a Disney holic, uh, and you saw King Richard return into the thing, did you say, "Why is Robin Hood, in essence, and all the fellow Sherwood Forest citizens, in essence, celebrating the return of King Richard?" No, no, that did not come. That out did of not happen. No. So why can't you just accept that? Again, you know, the future may behold bad things. And in essence, King Richard may not be the great monarch that we are promised at the end of Robin Hood. But in reality, the ending of the regime of King John is something that should be celebrated. Hail the phony king of Birdland. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Jeez. All right. Uh, fair point. And you have you have won the argument. Okay. So we can just end the podcast, right? Yeah, absolutely. Podcast <laughs> is over. We're, we're former podcasters. Um you're absolutely right, though. There is nothing to tell us in the future that anything is going to be different. Um, there is nothing to say that, you know, the likes of, you know, Rubenstein uh, and Michael Bloomberg and all these other individuals that are now part of the equation um, it, it is going to, in essence, improve this the status quo, as it were. Um, but you have to look at the scenario of, like, it's got to be better uh, than the previous regime. And you've got to also include the cow factor. I mean, cow being even a, a stakehold face um, for major league baseball and everything like that. <sighs> yes, it could go really bad unless it could go really wrong. Just like we saw with Jeter and in, in, in the Marlins. I, I just don't see it happening is the best way to describe it. There's just too much. There's too much to lose in terms of the people that are now involved. So I'm really delighted that you brought that up because I, I was going to, I was going to address this and the fact that even if, Cal Ripken is involved in the ownership group to slather on the thinnest veneer of legitimacy. That's probably good enough. Yeah, that's and, he, he is the face slash mascot of the organization going forward. So you'll hear from Rubenstein and stuff like that. But Rubenstein is, in essence, going to continue to hold, host his Bloomberg show. Um, he's going to continue to do his private equity aspect um, and his essence going to be the checkbook. And I think what you'll see in the future is you'll see Elias, you'll see Cal, in essence, serving as the ambassador of the organization, both to Major League Baseball um, and to the community as a whole. I also have enough faith in Cal Repkin's um, business acumen. Correct. That I think that he doesn't, honestly, he doesn't need the Orioles, yeah. right? He doesn't need oh, to get involved. Exactly. In he, he doesn't need this. It's just, it makes a ton of sense. And Major League Baseball is looking at this situation saying, so let me get this straight. We've got a better billionaire. We don't have to deal with Angelos. We get Bloomberg as a minority owner. So again, super rich guy, $93 billion worth of works. And we get to, in essence, ride the coattails of the Ripken, you know, gravy train. Um, and in essence, pull up highlights and stuff like that. It's just, it's an absolute win. And again, that's why you look at major league baseball and them in essence, fast tracking this approval process and saying, we want to get this done as soon as possible. Um, and it makes complete sense. So Jake, I get what you're saying, and I understand 
why you have a heavy dose of skepticism um, after 30 years, 30 years of just, you know, inadequacy, um, failures. Um, and also the Orioles. And, and also the Orioles. <laughs> um, but I think you have to look at the situation and look at, you know, the ownership that's coming in and everything else that is going on within the organization in terms of depth, farm systems, uh, the Dominican Republic system, and just say, all right, I feel pretty happy about things is the best way to put it. Yeah, that feels weird. Two, two outstanding questions. Sure. First, what do you think the impact of new ownership will be or might be on ongoing mass and litigation between the Baltimore Orioles and Major League Baseball? I think it's done. I think it's going to be part of the conditions of the sale. Do you think that the new ownership situation allows the Orioles to capitulate without losing face? Oh, absolutely. Second question. And I, I realize that it is. I will also go on record of saying this, and I know some other people have mentioned this as well. Um, when the original price came out for the Orioles, uh, I said to myself, all right, it seems a little low. I wouldn't say it's out, out, mm-hmm. out of the ballpark, but I said it seems a little low is supposed to describe it. I think I had always said in back in the day, I was just like, I would expect it to be somewhere around 2.2 to 2.5 billion. And it being below 2 billion, I was just like, okay, I'm not saying it's wrong, just seems a little on the low side to me. I certainly imagine that that is partially due to Masson and just the knowing knowledge that, like, hey, if this goes through, Masson is probably not going to exist in the state that it currently does. Totes. And I think it's going to be a situation just like it has been reflected on where this whole split revenue stream between the Nationals and the Orioles is probably done for. It's as simple as that. See, that's interesting. Uh, We let's, let's put a pin in, in Masson because I, I, I have a lot of thoughts about the future. I'm not saying that's right. No, 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 no. no. We, we, I'd like to do some homework. We'll come back and, and, and uh, talk about it. But second related question. Sure. Is this, um, when we get seats, where do you want to sit at the uh, next all-star game in Baltimore? Um, I'll see. They're going to be really expensive. Um, I mean, I, I think it'd be awesome to sit in left field with the wall and just, you know, see what happens. But you, you got to think if Masson gets resolved. Oh, there's no doubt. New ownership. There's, there's no all-star do- game comes back. To there's Baltimore. no doubt. I mean, this is just a, it's an absolute slam dunk. It's the standpoint of like Masson ownership gets resolved. Um, I mean, I, we were mentioning Cal. Can you imagine the aspect of an all-star game? You've got Cal Ripken there. Who else throws like out that. the first pitch? I mean, you know, Larry Hogan, I'm assuming, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I am hopeful about new ownership. I will say that my, uh, my cynicism is, is on high alert. I still don't think it's going to be the slam dunk that people think it's going to be. I think it's going to still be, you know, the team's going to spend money. Um, but I don't think we're going to hear the standpoint of like, we're going to in essence run this team like Milwaukee and Miami. Um, and we're going to run this team like Tampa Bay. I think in essence that you're going to look at, they're going to say, we're going to run this team and we're going to field a really competitive team. And if we need to spend money, we're going to spend money. All right. 
thanks for letting me get get that off my chest in a delayed fashion. You no know, problem. we we clearly are late to the game. We tried to talk about it that night, but uh, again, also my fault. Um, there is so much else that we have missed, and rather than you know litigating each little bit of of Orioles news that happened uh, between our show on the twenty first of December and and this evening, uh, I would simply like to take a quick break, come back, and look back and forward to the best and worst of times. So Orioles fans of a certain age were blessed with Orioles greatness. Um, you know, my dad used to talk about it. Um, but again, if you would talk to, we'll call it the boomer generation is the most we describe it. You know, memories are in essence relayed of the 60s, the 70s. And the Orioles were synonymous with this, well, this run of a successful baseball franchise. You know, in essence, a, a, almost a dynasty if they would have won a few more World Series. But again, people talk about it like they were the best team in the American League between, you know, 66 up through, I think it was 79 is the best way to put it. So um, other Orioles fans of a certain age, including us, we were, were less lucky. Uh, for us, you know, and for some of you out there, the Orioles were synonymous with the ineptitude of the highest order, um, terrible teams with kind of this criminally negligent ownership. And again, we, we, we straddle that line a little bit, but and we've talked about the aspect of, you know, our kids, for example, and how many years they went without seeing winning baseball. Um, but I think we can all agree that in this moment in history, there are real signs that the Orioles may be returning to the first set of the fans experience from the boomer generation. Um, so, however, though, like those of us that have grown up in this kind of dark ages of baseball have a hard time avoiding dealing in potentially worst case scenarios. Um, and when bad things happen, um, you know, we, we generally like to proliferate on those. Um, and then there's some of us that, you know, try to look for that elusive best case scenario and opine on what could be on the basis. But Scotty, it's the hope that'll kill you. No question. So, uh, with that, we thought we'd talk a little best case, worst case scenarios, and I'd like to start, Scotty, with things that have already panned out. Okay. Because I think it tells the greater narrative. Right. Right? Let's let's look back to 2023. Mm-hmm. Take a look at whether or not the best case or the worst case played out. Mm-hmm. And then let's look ahead to 2024 and see what we think will happen. And so let me just start with uh, the 2023 season. Right? Uh, you and I were very public in our shared frustration uh, for the Orioles standing pat in the offseason. I was promised liftoff, and I got no right. liftoff. Saying that they were they're depending on hope as a method and that everything would have to go right for the Orioles to compete in that season. And in other words, the Orioles were betting on the best-case scenario. Yeah, it's, it's funny because uh, there has been a lot of uproar as it relates to projection modeling. And uh, I think it's really funny because, again, if you take a look at the way the Orioles were projected last year, they were projected to be, you know, a mid-500 team. And they ended up winning 101 games. Um, so, again, you know, that is based off the 50th percentile. And the Orioles, in essence, went to the 90th percentile in oh. terms of wins, is the oh, best way to put it. They left the 90th percentile in the rearview right. mirror. They they got the best case scenario. Right. They got 
literally the best case scenario in 2023 in terms of, I wouldn't say everything went their way, but gosh, almost everything went right. It was a matter of like 101 games. Um, the starting rotation was good enough. The bullpen was dominant um, when it had to be. The offense scored a ton of runs. Um, Gunnar Henderson emerged into exactly what people thought he was going to do, which is be a rookie of the year. Um, the Rays gave up a seemingly insurmountable lead. And the rest of the ALEs kind of just crumbled. I mean, the Yankees, you know, starting rotation in essence was non-existent. Aaron Judge went out for a good portion of the season. Um, and just the Blue Jays could just never figure it out. I mean, just look how well the Orioles did against the Blue Jays. So literally, if you look at how well the Orioles did against the AL East, you're just like, wow, like, could this have been any better in terms of a performance from 2023? For the 2023 regular season, everything was coming up birdhouse. Yeah. I mean, it was great. Let's take a look at the 2023 postseason. And then, we, it, and then it ended. We, we went in with a, a certain swagger, right? Our team was the best in the American League and earned this really hard-won uh, buy. The best-case scenario— We got the rest that we needed. Yeah. The, the best-case scenario, obviously, for the postseason yeah. would have been running the table, blowing through the competition with the same ease that we did in the regular season, and bringing Baltimore— it's first World Series in 40. I mean, how poetic would it have been for 40 years later them to bring home another World Cup? That would have been the best case scenario. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Being a one seed, it's it's the best case scenario. I mean, what, what could go wrong? Well, let me tell you. The yeah. worst case scenario uh, was instead what we got. The Orioles were were swept pretty convincingly by the eventual World Series champions. The starting pitching fell apart. One of the three games was over by the second inning, and the Orioles, frankly, weren't just beaten. They were barely competitive. You know, they messed the bed on the grandest of stage in front of the entire baseball world and my kid. Um, and this this was the team that us Orioles fans of the Dark Ages recognized. We were like, well, of course, why wouldn't that happen? Yeah, I mean, it was a matter that we talked about all during the 2023 season where we said, well, they just never quite die is the best way to describe it. They always have a chance to come back. They always are scraping. They're always coming back. And again, it comes back to the infamous, well, they've never been swept. So there's no way that could happen in the playoffs, right? And yet the brooms came out. The Orioles were swept away in the postseason. uh, And the end came to be. So, I mean... All that excitement, all that fanfare, um, all that aspect of like, we're finally going to do it again. And it was over like that. Worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. All right. Let's look at the 2024 offseason. And, and I will say this past offseason, though, technically not over by, you know, technically, technically not. The Orioles had a choice. Mm-hmm. Right. And after going through an amazing regular season, a painful postseason I think it became incredibly clear that the choice was either you stand pat like you did last year. Yep. You make hope a method. Yeah. Or you make a big move. And the best case scenario would be making a big move. And we all knew that starting pitching was the thing that they needed to fix. The, I mean, really the thing they Ever, needed to fix. For several years now. Not I mean. and, and the worst case scenario would be for us to be looking at the same team you know, plus, you know, the the modern equivalent of a Kyle Gibson or a um, Adam Frazier. Sure. And frankly, we got the best case scenario. It came really close, though. Like, I mean, it was really close. I mean, one of those episodes that we were going to discuss <laughs> um, was right during the Burns trade. 
and it was going to be on Groundhog's Day, and we were literally going to say, well, it's Groundhog's Day, and uh, exactly the same as it was the previous offseason, where nothing has changed, and um, you know it's exactly the same. The Corbin Burn trade literally ruined all of our shtick. Yeah, it just, just it was like, and control, delete. <laughs> I felt like I was in the press box once again, um, deleting my article when the game completely changed. It's a ninth inning home yeah. run. Yeah. Um, but you're you're absolutely right. I mean, um, you you look at the trade and you look at uh, the Orioles getting you know trading DL Hall um, and Joey Ortiz and the draft pick, um, and you say to yourself, "All right, for one year of Corbin Burns, um, it's tough to lose DL Hall." Um, Joey Ortiz was kind of blocked as it mm-hmm. is, if we're being candid. But a great player, great player. Is. I think Joey Ortiz is going to do great in Milwaukee on that basis. And then the draft pick, you look at it and say, "Well." You know, if Corbin Burns walks at the end of the year, you get it right back is the best way to put it. So in reality, you know, I think the D.L. Hall one is the only thing that stings, but it's the move that makes sense because D.L. Hall was probably never going to be a starter for you. Um, He was probably always going to be a relief pitcher for you. And it gives you that opportunity to upgrade to a Corbin Burns for one season um, with maybe a potential to sign up to an extension. Maybe. I mean, we'll see what happens. A, A more prepared podcaster would have gone back and gotten the sound clip. I know I've said this a couple of times. Corbin Burns was the guy I wanted. He was my you, pipe dream. You've, you've said this since October. You said, I, if I could go out and get someone this offseason, it'd be Corbin Burns. And I said, but Milwaukee doesn't seem like they're willing to trade. To be fair, I think it was, I'd like the guy from Milwaukee. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the conversation started and, and really ended around Cease. And then there was discussion of Lizardo. Nobody was really talking in serious terms about uh, Corbin Burns. And I love, I love this well, we all killed it. We said there's no chance. Burns is not going to be traded. I mean, this is even before you know Thanksgiving. You know, Mulkey came back and said, "Nope, we're done. Like he's off the market. We're going to keep him." And you're just like, "All right, like Burns, they're going to go into it. They might trade him at you know the trade deadline." Um, but you know, Milwaukee in essence looked at it and said, "You know what? We don't want to lose out on that additional draft capital that we potentially can get right now. Let's go ahead and, and pull the trigger." So. Um, absolutely great move is the most way to career. But, um, you know, I, I know a lot of folks in essence said the O's, you know, took advantage of the Brewers. I don't think that's the case. I think the, the Brewers got two really great players, um, out of the deal. Um, and, and the Orioles made the move they needed to make for the past few years. They pushed it in and said, let's do it. Yeah. This, so. this isn't an Eric Bedard for Adam Jones and change, uh, discussion, right? This is two teams that got what they wanted out of the deal. And again, the Orioles were dealing from strength in both. And, and I don't mean to minimize the loss of Hall or Ortiz. I think they're both incredibly, I think they'll both have players. really nice careers in, in, in Milwaukee is the, is the best way to put it. The thing is, is in previous years, when it came to trades, the Orioles were so bare that everything hurt. Yeah. And this, doesn't hurt as bad no, because of the the fact that they're dealing from strength. And so I look at that and I say, with the pitcher that we got in Burns and the matchup with its with the team's needs, best case scenario. Yeah. I think this is the best case scenario for this offseason. This is absolutely, you're absolutely right. This is the best trade that the Orioles could have made. It just, I, I just had wrote, written it off completely. Yeah. I was like, it's not going to happen. We need to be realistic and just look at other options. Um but Burns was was the guy. And, you know, Elias mentioned that. He's like, we kept working on it. We kept working on it. And eventually they hounded them down in order to make the deal happen. So um, credit to Mike Elias, credit to the Orioles organization on this one. I have no faults here. And again, even if the Orioles, in essence, have a terrible season upcoming, 
uh, this was the right move. They did the thing they were they, supposed they to were, do. They did for exactly. Once. They did the move that they were supposed to do. Um, and we'll see if it pans out or not. But um, great move for the organization standpoint. Great move. So that is looking back. Yeah. Let's look ahead. Yeah. All right. I want to. I want to throw a couple scenarios by you. Sure. Or, or a couple topics, and I want to kind of tease out the best case and the worst case scenario, and then which of those you think will happen. Sure. Or, or is more likely to happen. Yeah. And let's start uh, with Kyle Bradish's health. Yeah. Uh, first of all, gut punch. Yeah. Gut punch. A guy who got serious looks in a discussion about Cy Young returning to the Baltimore Orioles in a rotation that's going to have Rodriguez. It's going to have Corbin Burns, who we just discussed. And then we find out, oh, he's got a UCL thing. So, I mean, look, best case scenario yeah. is that it's not as big a deal as we think. He gets treatment. He works on it, and he's back by, let's call it July. Okay. I would say that's best case scenario. I think that's probably best case scenario, yeah. And that he is an effective pitcher yeah. from July to October. Yeah. That's the best case scenario. Yeah. I think we all know what the worst case scenario is. We do. Actually, no. No, no, we're going to talk about it. There's a mid-grade scenario. Okay. The mid-grade scenario is that Kyle Bradish... Needs to have surgery, mm-hmm. and he's lost to us until 2026. Okay, yeah. And the worst case scenario is that this ends his career as a starter. Yeah, as did Zach Britton's. Yeah, and nobody is guaranteed to be what Zach Britton was when he came back. Yeah. So Scotty, mm-hmm. I gave you three options. There's a bonus option in there. Yeah. What do you think is the most likely of the outcomes? Uh, so I'm not going to go with the nuclear option. <laughs> uh, I am going to go with the mid-bad option, as best to describe it. I, I just don't see how this ends up being not Tommy John. I, I hate to say it. I, I just don't see it. Um, I, I know people want to be optimistic. Um, I, I've seen this song and dance routine too many times, and when PRP injections happen, I mean, I just look at. I mean, I'll look at Otani for example, and Otani has gone through PRP injections before in the past, and then eventually gets Tommy John. I think that they're hoping that it's it's not that, and maybe he can get through it. But I, I think a tear is is inevitable. You down with the PRP? Yeah, you know me. So I I, I hate I hate it. It's it's part of the game. Um, it's why we're not going to see Otani this year pitching. Um, you you know bite your lip and move on. Unfortunately, <laughs> you're bumming me out. So I am going to move on to the next topic, and yeah. that topic is uh, John Means Health. Yeah. So John Means is apparently, and we found out basically at the same time, uh, John Means is behind by about a month. May, May, quote unquote, May, miss opening day. Uh, So here we go. Best case scenario. Yeah. Best case scenario is that John Means comes back in May or very early June and progresses as a pitcher coming back from a Tommy John injury. Yeah. And is back to close to what he was before. Yeah. Worst case scenario is that he has an injury that makes him unavailable for a great part of the season and or ineffective for yeah. a great part of the season. Yeah. So, Scotty, which of those two is more likely? So, I think the likely is that John Means probably comes back in May-ish, maybe June-ish on that basis. Um. I'll be candid with you. And I said this at, at the end of last season. I don't know if John means is ever going to get back into the rotation. 
you're still bumming me out. And I, I just, I don't know. I, I just, I had a feeling when he was announced in October being like, oh, the elbow kind of reared itself up again. I'm like, it's not good is the best way to put it. It's not good that that just randomly happened in October and prevented him from th- throwing in the postseason. Um, I really want to say John Means will be in the rotation, you know, come May and throughout the entire season, and he'll be able to pitch, you know, 100, 120 innings pitched. I just don't see it. All right. Let me um, let me say first that I disagree with you. Yeah. And I'm going to come back to that disagreement. But let me just <clears throat> double down on the darkness. Sure. If what you're telling me mm-hmm. is that this injury has made John Means not to be a viable starting pitcher candidate. Yeah. I don't think that his stuff is special enough to make him a viable bullpen arm either. So I, I disagree with that assessment. Because, again, if you look at it as I'm a starter, even for last year, he was still able to, in essence, maneuver and, in essence, mix up pitches and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I think, he, is he a closer? No. Um, is he a seventh and eighth inning guy? I could see him as a seventh and eighth inning guy. I don't think he's he's anything different than that. Okay. Um let me say that I do. Are you saying that John, in a relief role, that John Means can't do what Tyler Wells does? Yes. I don't think mm. he has the stuff. That, that, so you think that Tyler Wells has better stuff yeah. than John Means? I, think, I, I don't think, know if I agree with that. I think John Means' uh, changeup is incredible. Mm-hmm. I think that if he is not, I think if he's not back to himself, that his fastball is not going to be enough to make the changeup. I think notable. He, I think if you look at, you know, relief pitchers, I think John Means has enough stuff going on where he could be an above average relief pitcher. I wouldn't say it's all star quality, but above average. Okay. Okay. I hope that it's a moot point because my view is that best case scenario, yeah. John Means is gonna come back and he's gonna be a pitcher who is capable of being that'd be one, great. one of the top five on anybody's staff. That'd be great. That'd be great. I'm skeptical on the basis of him not getting a lot of work last year um and now this reoccurring i just don't think the stamina piece is going to be there for a full season and i've said that for a while (laughs) i i don't want you to be right i don't want to be right either but i just i just don't think it's going to happen all right all right so let's uh let's move on okay best case worst case scenario of corbin burns production for the baltimore orioles okay. now here here's the script okay okay the baltimore orioles we know mm-hmm. the dark ages birds yep is that they finally do the right thing mm-hmm. they finally do the right thing they go out and they get a real starting pitcher tm it's a real pitcher this is the one that we all knew that we could depend on and it comes to baltimore and he just has a crap season okay like yep this is this is alex cobb this is Abaldo Jimenez. We were so excited for Alex two. Cobb. We were so excited yeah. for Alex Cobb. We we're like, this is it. The Orioles did what they needed to do, and this is going to be their chance before Manny leaves in order to basically see if they can get to the playoffs one more time. Um, and this is just just the push they needed to to go across the edge. So worst case scenario. God, we were dumb. <laughs> we were so dumb. No, we were just unlucky. We were yeah. generationally unlucky, yeah. as in so many other ways. Right. Uh, so worst case scenario is that Corbin Burns comes and he is just weapons grade terrible uh, out, outside of, of his of his uh, track record. Mm-hmm. Best case scenario mm-hmm. is that he throws 200 innings and strikes out, you know, 175 or whatever it is that he's been doing for the last three or four years. All star candidate uh, and makes the trade and loss of those two great players look like uh, nothing. Yeah. 
Which of those two do you think is more likely? I think all-star candidate. I don't think he, I don't think it'll be great. I don't think he'll be a Cy Young candidate, but I think that he's going to post some really uh, nice numbers against the American League, especially again as we've talked about before from last season. Um, you obviously get a, a slightly weighted American League East, but again, you're going to not see the American League East as much as you have in you know previous years. Um, so I think Gordon Burns has a really productive upcoming season. Um, I'm also going to say 200 innings pitched plus. The Orioles could use that. They absolutely could. And I think that they're going to take advantage of that. So I'm going to go 200 innings plus uh, for Corbin Burns. All right. Uh, Let's move on to Gunnar Henderson's sophomore season. Sure. Now, he was just rookie of the year. Yeah. And he could either continue greatness Mm -hmm. or he could run into... Sophomore slump. A sophomore slump. Yeah. The, The... Best case scenario would be for him to be one of the leaders on an offensive club that could be dangerous. Yep. I mean, really, the Orioles have a lot of tools that you look up and down that lineup and you're like, as an opposing pitcher, good Lord, when do I take a break? Yep. Or Uh he could fall off and his lack of production up at the top could be something that stagnates that order. Which do you think is more likely? Top 10 player in Major League Baseball. From your lips to God's ears. Holy smokes. I mean, again, if you look at it, and you, I was looking at Gunnar early, and again, the injury situation that he had today where he came out and said he has an oblique, and they're just going to take it easy with him coming in, I think is really smart uh, on the Orioles' path. But again, you look at his numbers last year. Um, I think he posted a 128 weighted runs created plus. Um, and I just keep looking at folks like Julio Rodriguez, and I think I was looking at Mookie Betts was the was the name that was interesting to me. And I think Mookie had a 139 weighted runs created plus. Um, and Mookie's on base percentage is ridiculous. Like I was looking, I was just like, well, that's 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 silly. I think it's like 400 plus, like like an Adley like standpoint. And I was like, well, like Gunner's not that far away, all things considering, especially as he's starting to get older, get more power and stuff like that. I was just like, he could easily get to 135 weighted runs created plus. I mean, if he was at 126 last year, yeah. um, you know, getting to 135 is not an outlandish standpoint. And he's just getting more and more comfortable from a defensive standpoint. So when I think Gunner, I think someone like Mookie Betts, and I think he's a top 10 player in Major League Baseball, I think Gunner is going to flirt with MVP. Man. All right. I love I love that answer. I love that answer. Uh, let me let me throw this at you: a Bautista less Orioles bullpen. Yeah. Best best case scenario is that they are able to patch it together with Kimbrel and mm-hmm. a effective uh, Cano and an effective Perez and uh, maybe a, a Dylan Tate who comes back and is a high leverage pitcher and. You know, maybe it's Wells that's in the bullpen if he's not uh, pressed in the starting routine. And all of that turns out to be some of its parts good, right? Mm. Worst case scenario mm-hmm. is that that bullpen is exposed yep, and that it's over-reliance on guys who are unable to go more than one inning and are not a sure thing to not be flammable mm-hmm. for that one inning makes the Orioles need to hold on to leads and narrow leads at that untenable. Yeah. 
Which of those two scenarios do you think is more likely? Uh, Jake, um, you've got hardwood in your house, correct? I do. Um, when is the last time you had your hardwood sanded and polished? Uh, not yet, because the house is too new. Okay. Um, by the time May rolls around, you're going to need to call someone to come to your house and sand and polish it. The amount of pacing that you're going to be doing <laughs> during late innings is going to put several wear streaks in your house. Um, so you're going to need to have someone come over and sand and polish your house in, in multiple instances in this upcoming season. Uh, will I call the full pack of flooring company? <laughs> yes, you will. The full pack of flooring company. <laughs> Good Lord. Okay. Smoke uh, them if you got them. <laughs> let's talk about Ryan Mountcastle. Yeah. Ryan Mountcastle is an interesting dude because he has, he has the capability to take over a game for Days at a time. He, you know what he reminds me of? Mm. He reminds me of the sheriff. Yes, he he's, is, he's he's exactly the sheriff. He's he's better than the sheriff, I think. But he has the ability to maybe slightly. He has the ability to fuel the engine that is the Orioles' offense for, let's call it weeks at a time. Sure, and then the ability to absolutely disappear, disappear yeah. and become a non-entity. Yeah, non-entity to the point in which he loses at bats to. Uh, Ryan O'Hearn, who, thank God, was useful. What do you... Th- if you're going to use his name. <laughs> Steve Pierce, excuse me. Thank you. Steve Pierce 2.0. <laughs> Best case thank scenario you. for Ryan Mountcastle is that he is able to play a full, healthy season. Yeah. And I would say be the starter for 75% of the games and be... What? At 110 weighted runs created plus. That is the best case scenario for Ryan Mountcastle. All right. So, Worst case, I think, I think you know. I, I'm I'm confused, and maybe this is me being dumb. Not likely, but go ahead. Why is Ryan Mountcastle playing in seventy five percent of the games? Because in the best case scenario, you can't take him out of the lineup. Why? For the all the good that he can do. Why would we not just have Ryan O'Hearn play first base? I think we will. But best case scenario, if but why am I having Ryan O'Hearn and? Mountcastle in the same lineup. I think that the pedigree between Ryan Mountcastle and Ryan O'Hearn uh-huh. in the Battle of the Ryans, uh-huh. excuse me, Ryan Blake, sorry to steal your bit. Uh, in the Battle of the Ryans, I think that on sheer what should be is that Mountcastle takes a hands down. So if I have a righty pitcher uh-huh. and I'm obviously putting O'Hearn out there. Right. Okay, okay, you say that, though, but that also requires that the best-case scenario for O'Hearn be that he is anywhere close to what he was last year. That's true, but I think the Orioles feel like, since Brian O'Hearn just got a contract and then also a club option... Yeah, but so did Ryan McKenna. Like, they're just handing yeah. it out like it's candy. I just... I, I hear you. I, I, I just feel like Ryan O'Hearn is going to be the predominant first baseman for this team i think it's going to be 65 35 like somewhere in that ballpark okay but but hear me out yeah best case scenario for ryan mountcastle yeah is that he's good enough to overcome that need for platoon no it's not gonna happen not gonna happen not gonna happen mountcastle's gonna do great mountcastle's gonna have a nice season he's going to um, you know, he's going to play, you know, 35 to 40% of the starts. He's going to get in there 
pretty often as a late inning, you know, hitter. Um, he's going to come in for O'Hearn when, you know, the, the, the righty starting pitcher comes out. Um, because I think Mountcastle has a better defensive standpoint than, than O'Hearn does. But ah, this is going to be a platoon. Like, there's no question in my mind there should be a platoon. So I, I agree with you. I mean, why shouldn't it be? <laughs> I, and I wasn't, I wasn't planning on asking this. This is not in the notes. We're off the script, Scott. We're off the script. Ryan O'Hearn, best case, worst case scenario. What do you think the best case and worst case scenario for O'Hearn is? Uh, clearly top 10 player in Major League <laughs> Baseball, but no. Um, I think the best case standpoint for O'Hearn is that he comes out and posts a season eerily similar to last year. Yeah, I would be thrilled. I think if he comes out and posts a 120 weighted runs created plus and acts as Steve Pierce 2.0 once again, I think everyone would be very jolly about that. Um, but maybe you're right. Maybe he, in essence, regresses and falls off, and the Orioles say, thanks, but no thanks. We're going to go ahead and you know send you on your way, or we're just going to put you on the bench and just basically bat Mountcastle the entire time. I, I just don't see it happening. I, I think that watching O'Hearn hit last year and watching his plate discipline and stuff like that, I just I, I, I can't imagine O'Hearn has a dramatic fall off. Okay, so I love that for us. Yeah. And I want you to be right. I will say that if, if I were in the prediction uh, business between O'Hearn doing something close to what he did last year and him, in worst case scenario, falling off to the point which he is outrighted and released by the Orioles, I think that worst case is more likely. Mm. So you're negative. I'm, I'm not negative on Ryan O'Hearn. I look at the way he, in essence, adapted to um, what the hitting instruction and the data was being given to him and fully embraced it on. And I think we're going to see a re a, 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 an eerily similar repeat of O'Hearn in 2024. Look, I was wrong about uh, Corbin Burns and I loved it. I want to be wrong about this too. Yeah. Uh, okay. The rest of the AL East, we said that last year they were kind of quiet. Yeah. Best case, worst case scenario for the other competition in the AL East. Well, I I know people have already buried them to a certain regard, but I think the Jays are going to have a great year. I think that, you know, it's only a matter of time. They keep having these, you know, a great team on paper should be better. I feel like the Jays are, in essence, going to break out of that 50th percentile one year. And I think this year could be it is the best way to describe it. Um, and I still think the Yankees, you know, as much as people don't want to say it, I know they're top heavy from a hitting standpoint. I think you've got, you know, Aaron Judge and you've got Juan Soto. And those are two really good players. Um, and the Yankees had a terrible string of luck with injuries last year. Um, I think the Yankees are going to be really good this year as well. That's not to say the Orioles are not going to be good with them, but those are my three teams. And I think that all three of those teams are going to be in it. And the Rays? I think the Rays are going to be quiet. I think the Rays will be there. And I think that they'll be there pretty late in the game. I just don't think that they're going to be able to hang with those other three. It took 101 wins to win the AL East last year yep. because two teams were just excellent. Yep. I would argue that it's going to take far fewer wins to win the AL East this past year. And part of that's going to be three really good clubs beating up on one another. Yeah. And again, we have to look at the weighted schedule standpoint. And again, the AL East took roughshod to all of the other divisions as mm -hmm. well. Um, I do think that that is kind of going to balance itself out. Um, so I agree with you that I don't think it's going to take 101 wins. I do think it's probably going to take upper 90s. 
So I think I think you know my prediction would be you know the team that wins the AL East is probably going to have to have ninety seven wins. I'm going to say a, a decent race, a decent to good race club, a good Jays club, a good Yankees club. That's worst case scenario. Yeah. Uh, all right. The Orioles 2024 record. Yeah. Now look, they did all the things. Mm-hmm. They did all the things they were supposed to. Now they're running into injury trouble. Yep. We just talked about the fact that the AL East might be a problem. Yeah. Best case scenario is that lightning in a bottle is recaptured and they win 97 to 101 games or whatever it's sure. going to take to win the AL East, yeah. right? Middle of the road uh, option would be that they win in the high 80s and it's enough to make in, into the wild card. Yeah. And then the worst case scenario is that they win in the low to mid 80s and just miss out on the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go mid plus is the best way to describe it. I think that, you know, I think they are going to be, you know, in the 90s. Um, I, I just, I think in my heart of hearts that, you know, it's really tough to win back to back. And I think that there'll be a little bit of an aspect where they're a great team. Um, I just can't imagine the Yankees and the Jays being as bad as they were last year. Um, I think that they'll be battling with one of those teams up until the very last day of the season. Um, I think the Orioles fall a game or two short. And I think they become, you know, the first wildcard team. And hopefully they don't suffer the same fate the Rays did. Um, but I think it's going to be a great season is the best way to put it. Um, and I could easily see them winning the AL East. I could see them being in that 97 to 101 as well. Um, but if I had to guess right now, I'm going to say 94 games. All right, all right. Which I think is amazing. Like, yeah, it's yeah, a, no. That's a great standpoint. I just, I just don't know if it's going to be quite good enough. I watched this team not have a winning season for 14 years. You're yeah. telling me that I'm going to be disappointed with 94 yeah. wins? No way. Yeah. So I don't know. Like I said, I, I hate to say it, and I want to say like absolutely AL East, absolutely the best team in American League, and I, it's so close for me. But I just a part of me is just like, don't get too cocky, kid. Also, I, I can imagine good. I'm not sure I can go for best case scenario. Yeah, I, I can't go with best case. I, I just don't see them finishing in the 80s for some reason. Like it, something would have to go like disastrously wrong. And this is not even the broader situation. Like there would have to be some major injuries from some other franchise players in order for this to be in the 80s. Um, and I guess that's possible. But I, I just I don't see it. I just don't see it. I've got two more quick ones for you. Sure. First is the state of the minor league system sure and we're not here yet i'm not worried i'm not trying to stir up trouble Mm -hmm. but the orioles are no longer drafting in the top yeah the orioles are starting to deal out of their depth which which is a good thing right that's why you build it yep and they are also um starting to not only promote players who are rock stars yeah but they're also starting to turn out players that just like every other system turn out not to be stars sure Best case scenario is that the Orioles have built a system that can sustainably, even when they're not drafting at number one to number four, bring up quality talent. Yep. Worst case scenario is that the Orioles' lack of access to super elite talent thins out the system and is no longer able to sustain a longstanding winning record on its own without significant free agent activity sure best case or worst case which is more likely 
I think based off of everything that we have seen, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this scenario the Enrique Bradfield scenario, um, and, I'll, and I'll bring up why. I think what we have seen over the past years is the Orioles have done an amazing job cultivating position players to become great hitters. Um, and, and some organizations have looked at these hitters and saying, if we brought them into our organization, we're not sure how sustainable that is. I think the big knock against Enrique Bradfield has been hitting his swing and everything like that. I think that's why a lot of organizations were like, eh, everything else is great, but we are not sure about that. I think if the Orioles are able to turn Enrique Bradfield into a plus hitter, I think it demonstrates that the Orioles are have potential galore in order to develop players going forward in the future. So my standpoint is based off of everything that we've seen over the past few years, I think we're still in best case scenario where the Orioles, even though they're going to be drafting at the end of the first round, um, we still look at this upcoming you know scenario that we have for the season. I know the Orioles traded away their 34th pick, but you're still going to have, you know, if your first round pick and you're still going to get your compensatory competitive draft pick and then you're still going to have your second round pick. Um, and you're going to get, you know, another pick in the 30s next year. So, again, the Orioles have a lot of draft collateral um, to still use in order to pick up additional players. And or they also have additional um, money available if they need to over slot on that basis, on that ba- on that standpoint. So I've got no concern both in terms of their draft capital um, and I have no concern as it relates to the development system that they've employed over the past few years. Yeah, this is the team, remember, that not only drafted the Matt Hobgoods, it's also the team that ruined the Brian Madisons, yeah. right? And this is not that same organization. I, I do have a lot more faith in the Orioles player development system than I used to. I just, you know, again, live through the dark ages. It terrifies me. And, and again, it's a we have to, in essence distance ourselves from that we have to look at the matter of you know how they've done in the draft but we also have to look at you know international free agency that they're in essence going into as well i mean the dominican republic you know system that they just built down there with their facility it's nothing to laugh at like it is a big deal um so the orioles are starting to make noise um on that basis to start doing it and again those are not players that aren't going to make an immediate impact um but those are individuals like basayo that are in essence going to make an impact on a longer term basis um, and those are the kind of people that, you know, when a Lizardo is mentioned, Basalio is in essence mentioned in, in turn with him. Um, so, I mean, I think the Orioles are doing everything right as it relates to their minor league system. Sure. You know, the, uh, the best case scenario is that we, we keep doing the thing. The worst case scenario is, um, is that Brian Mattis comes back. Yeah. All right. Last one that I've got, and then you, you're welcome to, to challenge me on anything I missed. I want to go back to where this conversation started. Sure. Of this podcast. And that is new ownership. Yeah. Best case scenario. Yeah. Is that the new ownership continues to empower the baseball operations professionals they've brought in, mm-hmm. that, that the old ownership brought in, that they are continuing to to support the things that they do so well, like the Dominican that you just uh, referenced, like the the things that we do praise the Angelos family for, you know, the kids cheer free, the uh, outreach to the community, that they continue to do all the right things. Mm-hmm. And then in addition, they spend money on free 
agents. That is really, in my opinion... I don't think that's the only thing from a best case standpoint for me. All right. What else is best case? What, what I think I the best case standpoint that you're missing is extensions for... Oh, sure. Yeah. It, the I, foundation. I'm sorry. I... I, I I lump that into spending the money. Free agency is super fun, super sexy is the best way to put it. But one thing that this community loves more than anything is they love homegrown talent that is signed to long-term deals. Especially if they have lunch pails. Especially if they have lunch pails. No doubt about it. So this fan base and this area and this community would go absolutely bonkers if Adley was signed to an eight to 10 year deal, like immediately Adley becomes Lamar Jackson-ish. And I would say he's close at this point, but he becomes that kind of like icon going forward for this town. If he signs eight in eight to 10 year deal. And, you know, if somehow um, there can be a convincing of saying like, Hey, um, Scott Boris, we want Gunner and we want Jackson holiday and we want them both together signed at one press conference and we want to write one of the largest checks ever um, in one foul swoop. I, I think it sends a notice to all major league baseball. So is it going to happen? I don't know if all of it's going to happen, but I think that's the kind of best case example of ownership sitting down and saying, we wanted to put a face to this franchise. This is one of our faces of the franchise. You're so right. It, it was a, it was an omission. Uh, extensions are, are, Probably more important than free agency, I would I would argue. Wor- worst if, case, if you think Michael Gonzalez was important, I mean, <laughs> worst case scenario is that the new ownership group is overextended just by the state of the purchase, mm-hmm. and it's more of the same fly by the seat of your uh, Listen, of your frequent flyer coupons. I get you. You know, maybe a few more like Magna Carters come up for sale, and you know, it's it's uh, it's a possibility that you know the ownership group says, you know what, instead of grabbing that free agent. We've got to purchase a few of these Magna Cartas. All right. I I can't believe I'm going to do this. It's not Magna Carta, Scott. It's not Magna Cartas, and it's not the Magna Carta. It's Magna Carta. No, no plural, no article. If you're going to buy the thing, you have to be snooty enough to call it Magna Carta. Listen, if we're going to talk about the Major League Baseball here. <laughs> All right. Which of those two... <laughs> which of those two do you think are more likely, best case or worst case scenario of new ownership? Uh, I think it is much more likely that... Um, Money is spent, free agency, free agents are brought in, and extensions are given to most of the individuals. I don't think everyone will be signed, um, but I think every effort will be made to, in essence, establish a foundation. And good Lord, that would be enough, right? If we're talking about Gunner and we're talking about Jackson Holiday and we're talking can about you, Adley, you, and you got two of those three and traded one away for prospects, wouldn't you but can, do cartwheels? But can you imagine like the MLB fanfare that would happen if you had a press conference? And you had Jackson Holiday on one side, Gunner on the other side, and in the middle was Cal signing the contract between both of them. Yeah. Although the weird thing is, is that between those three individuals, there's a normal head of hair. There is. There is. But again, I just think there's so much storybook standpoint here that, you know, as long as ownership is willing to spend the money and they certainly have a bunch of money available to spend, I think sky's the limit. So my guess is, you know, ownership comes in. I don't think it's going to be, you know, a Dodgers-like situation. I don't think it's going to be a Mets-like organization standpoint. 
I see this organization spending, you know, roughly 160 to $185 million on a given year. That's my rough estimate. Love it. Yeah. Love it. So, I mean, like I said, I don't think that's an outreasonable standpoint. Again, could they spend more? Yeah. Could they spend less? Yeah. But I think that's a, a reasonable standpoint looking at other organizations in Major League Baseball uh, and how much money is coming into them. So those are our best and worst case scenarios. And frankly, we'd love to hear from you. What did we miss? What best worst case scenarios have we not laid out? What are the best and or worst case scenarios that you can imagine that we did not play out right here? You can uh, you can do all sorts of things. You can reach out to us on social media. You can toot at us, I think. Very technically, by definition, you can do those things. On the on the Mastodons, apparently. But but get in touch with Am us. Am I allowed to use the Mastodon or is it just Mastodon? It's like Magna Carta. Okay, gotcha. In the meantime, we're gonna step aside, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna blow the safe. Scotty, we talked about the sheer joy that the news of the Corbin Burns trade brought to Birdland. I remember that evening uh, for so many reasons. The first is that the news ruined our podcast, and we had to... uh, Good. (laughs) Do that more often. In fact, if you want to ruin the podcast right now... (laughs) With great news. With great news. (laughs) That would be lovely. But... It it was interesting for me. I'm I'm going to ask for your for your uh, thoughts in a second, but I, I've had a rough couple of weeks. We'll talk about it in retrospect once it's all over. Um, but outside of my own uh, personal drama, we uh, experienced the kick in the junk that was the Ravens' departure from the NFL playoffs, losing the AFC Championship game, um, and so it was so weird to me to be so bummed out in a Baltimore sports context and have it be the Ravens that let me down and the Orioles that filled me back up. Like I was as giddy as a schoolgirl. Um, I, I turned on MLB network just to watch them talk in glowing terms about my team. I mentioned they're the best team in the American league. Like it was so weird to be so happy so full of pride, so like uh, they finally did the thing I've been asking for for all this time. Yeah, it it was it was a moment that was like you know, and a lot of people said on on social media like it's a good time to be an Orioles fan right now, or it, it, this is a great era to be an Orioles fan. Having lived through so much of that not being the case, I, I just I, like I wanted to take a second and just acknowledge how wonderful that night was. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's a it's a situation like you mentioned where all of Baltimore, in a sense, is down in that moment and being like, oh, like this is absolutely a disaster. I can't believe this happened. We lost our chance. And you're looking at the Orioles and you're like, well, the foundation is there. Like, but I really hope that we don't you know, look back at it and say again, from a worst case scenario, the Orioles were the number one seed. They lost their opportunity now the Ravens were the number one seed. They lost their opportunity. Um, you know, has 
has the shift passed us by, as it were. Is the window starting to close? Correct. And this kind of reaffirmed, it's just like, oh no, we've got some additional um, avenues to, in essence, celebrate and be excited for going into 2024, where we can, you know, put to bed the Ravens football season and actively prepare ourselves for baseball season. I don't know if I've ever seen the city as a whole be so excited for saying, I want baseball to start right now. There's normally that gap of like, I need like a month or so to kind of be like, let me catch my breath and then I'll be ready for baseball season when it comes around. Um, But this was literally like once the Corbin birds trade was announced, it's just like, when is opening day? Can it be next week? I don't know about you, but I was the guy at the Super Bowl party in my Orioles jersey. I don't know. I think I probably wore an Orioles shirt for the Super Bowl, but honestly, I, I don't really recall. Uh, I am so, so excited. Even even with some of the bad news, even with the chance that there might be some worst-case scenarios right. out there, bring on the baseball. Yeah. And for once, Fezzik, you did something right. And that, that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes, those that aren't ruined by current events, at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Birdseyeview is available for download wherever it is. Get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcast, YouTube, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us all over social media. We're on Blue Sky. As mentioned, we're on Threads. We're on Mastodon. We have an Instagram account. We have Facebook. We have a Snapchat account. We're on the ticks and the talks. And you can find us on a site that used to be called Twitter, where we do something that used to be called tweeting at birdseyeview, B-A-L. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, best or worst case scenario be darned. I will bid you all a fond. Adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Please, Baltimore O's players, be safe out there. And let's go O's. It's the best of times. It's the worst of times. It's going to be the best of times. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.